and thank you for joining me today on Loyal World Info. Another day of the global spinning, another day of global news to digest. I offer a sane, rational voice for an insane, rational time. I will be your host, but first, let me share a little bit about me. I look forward to waking up to the international news like a child opening a Christmas present. I never know how I will act or activities I will do until after I unwrap my present. In the news case, what will I learn? What will it cause me to think about? What will I reflect back on? And what will I share with others? Stay with me and let's open presents together. Now, let's get into today's topics. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the topics of the day. Today is April 16th, and today I want to share the following topics. Utilitarian mobile ambulances. Watch an alligator eat a python and tell about an elephant. That's in our wild animal news. The, um, we have a young woman in their 20s are the most risk for the COVID. Is that real or fake? Korean elections results and debate. Vietnam makes dis a disinfection robot. Student who criticized China faces expulsion. Heroes of today. A plane crash. Sex workers apprehended. Proper medical waste disposal. And recipes for disaster. Stay tuned and let's get into this. Our first topic of the day comes in the Melmar. And I thought this was a pretty interesting way to see an ambulance. No, I have seen a few interesting um, motorcycles over the years before I get into this. You know, in America, they made a famous TV show called Chips, which was uh, about uh, police officers that would go on motorcycles to solve uh, crimes. And then um, there, and when I was in Japan, I never even saw a police car. All I ever saw were the uh, like scooters, like Vespa scooter motorcycles. In um, Vietnam, they had pretty much the same thing. There's almost no cars. But this is really the first kind of ambulance I've seen, so I wanted to show this off to you guys today. So let's read the article. Utilitarian mobile ambulances to be used in rural and remote areas. This actually takes place in India. In New Delhi, as part of the ongoing in the ongoing Convoy 19 relief efforts, the Hero Motor Corps is donating 61st responder mobile ambulances to the health authorities in India. These unique utilitarian mobile ambulances will be used for reaching out to patients in rural and remote areas and comfortably moving them to the nearest hospital. The company said in a statement on Tuesday, these ambulances have been custom built as an accessory to be lifted, lifted on the Motor Corps motorcycles 
with uh, engine ca capacity of 150 cc. All right, so that goes about um, about 40 miles an hour. The 40-45. The ambulance insurers insurances include sleeping arrangements with essential medical equipment such as first aid kit, oxygen cylinder, fire extinguisher, and a siren. These mobile ambulances will be handed over to the authorities in the multiple regions across India. The hero group has committed a, a corpse of a 100, 100 cores as aid for the ongoing uh, virus relief. Half of the sum is being contributed by the Prime Minister and the other half is going to be spent on the relief efforts. The BML University, run by the Hero Group, has offered a 2,000-bed hospital for the use as isolation and treatment ward by the local health department. The group also said it's distributing more than 115,000 meals every day on, daily on a daily wage workers stranded in uh, laboratories and homeless families in several areas. Wow, so this group is not only giving these unique motorcycles, but they're also donating space and food for people in need. Now, personally, I have a motorcycle license. I have to mostly drive 250 cc's and under. I would drive these and I would help people out if I could. But what, what about you? Do you have something like this in your country? Would you feel comfortable being taken to the hospital on that? Uh, let me know. Or, or does your country have a different way to transport um, people? Because sometimes people live in the mountains or they live, they live, you know, in a forest or wherever. So what do you use to get people around? Uh, leave your comments below. I'd like to hear. Okay, moving on to our animal stories of the day. I have two for you. Watch an alligator eat a python in the Everglades National Park. And then later we will talk about an elephant. So let's get started. Give this gator or st stipend a stipend. Because it's doing its part to help curb the out-of-control python population in the Florida Everglades. Now, stipend means reward or acknowledgement. The American alligator, a native of these parts, was seen chilling in the swamp with his mouth firmly clamped down on a non-native python. Video footage of the feast was posted to the official Everland National Park account on Sunday. With all the news of pythons overwhelming the Everglades e ecosystem, it gives us hope to see our native animals fighting back. Yeah, you know, sometimes people, they, they, they transport animals around the world. For example, the hippo did not come from South America. And they transported that from Europe, I recall. I think Spain even. It might be wrong on the country. But they transported it on to, to South America. And it basically took over the, the local animals that lived there. made their life much harder. 
Other times you've had people transport um, salmon or other fish from one region to another and then they eat up or they kill the local animals off. So it's not always easy or just to move one animal from one, one region to another. So always be careful if you're trying if you're thinking about transporting pets around the world. It's been well documented in recent years that the Burmese pythons are essentially taking over the Florida Everglades. It's so bad that the static agencies now sanction various python removal programs where hunters can either be paid or win prizes. Oh, that sounds cool. I wish, well, I guess you could probably click that link on this article and find out how to enter. That they'll have to do to exotic snake breeders that pet owners dump the snake into into the wild. Wow, look, look at that thing. By the way, pythons are not your traditional snake. You know, many people think like of a rattlesnake and they, oh, mommy, I was bitten by a snake. And yes, snakes can be poisonous. Some are, some are not all. But pythons actually squeeze you to death. They are not actually poisonous themselves with their bite. No natural predator me means they can spread the wildfire. And that is why they've been doing one female captured near the Napa, Florida. So they showed that picture above. They also, eat, pythons pretty much eat everything. That's kind of their problem. You know, every monkeys, uh, birds, whatever, they'll eat all. But every now and again, the alligator will eat one, like the one seen above. Wow, that is a nice mouth. Yum, yum. Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. So what do you think about uh, the story? What do you think about when people transport animals from one, one place to another? I would really like to know. Um, has the ecosystem changed for the better or worse around you so in wildlife? And do you have a unique or strange pet? If you do, what pet do you have? And what do you feed it? Please leave your comments below. I would like to know. And now we're going to move on to the second story. A park elephant tramples a farmer. Okay. So this was actually in Thailand. Thailand is known to have elephant, elephants like tourist attractions. And they usually, some are for tourists and some of them actually are used for lumber. They pull tree trees like the lumber, the tree uh, trunks. They pull them, carry them. Okay. So a man was trampled to death by a domesticated elephant at his farm. And San C district on Thursday. So domesticated means in this case that they took a wild animal and they tried to tame it on the farm. Police said that the body of Sa Karagishi, 68, was found in his Chahom garden at his vegetable farm on, in Tambor, Mayfall. His body showed wounds consisting with trampling and a female elephant owned by a local elephant park was found nearby. According to the police, the 
Park had taken the elephant out to forge, as there had been no park visitors since the outbreak. The elephant was tied to a tree in the forest, but broke loose and wandered toward the local village. You know, um, I don't recall the name off the top of my head, but um, when, I don't think it's a shepherd, but there's a certain name they have for people that guide these wild animals, like the elephants like this, in the in the forest. Um, Thailand has them, India has them. Their job is to control the animal. And I don't think that this farmer who domesticated the elephant, he, I don't think he was actually a trainer to this. So if you know the name of the training job for like, uh, the animals, you should leave it in the comment below. Uh, Asawad was watering his plants when he came across the elephant and tried to shoo it away. The elephant panicked and trampled the man. Local police are re reportedly filing criminal charges against the elephant park owner. Well, I don't know how I feel on that. I mean, the owner didn't take the wasn't on the elephant was not on his property, so I don't know. Anyway, I would like you. To, what do you think about these stories about the animals of the day? Please like, subscribe, or please leave your comments below to the questions I asked. I'd really be interesting in hearing your feedback. Moving on to our next story of the day. This comes from Australia and is in the Australian newspaper. Young women in their 20s are most at risk for the 19 bug infection. Now, before I have not pre-read this, but we'll, we'll read it together and we'll decide if it's more like propaganda to spread, I don't know, women's rights or, or if it's trying to gather government money for a select section of the population versus the population as a whole. You know, many times... You know, you'll in the media, you will see one incident happen and they will try to make an example out of it just so they can gather resources, not necessarily to create awareness or educate. But I'm not I'm withholding judgment until we actually read the article. So because, as you know, in the news, we've always heard from Spain and from America, from Italy, that men, 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 men. And usually it's the older generations or the young kids that are getting it. So let's, let's get into this. As the death toll from the virus among elderly Australian climbs, young people may be forgiven for thinking they're invulnerable. But the latest data should make them think twice. The young woman should especially take note. Women aged in their 20s are Australians most infected coronavirus coherence. Although why they're affected in greater numbers than young men remains unclear. It could be because younger women are more likely to go and get themselves tested or maybe because they are slightly more social. The other thing to think about is that young women in the age group, there would be more of them working in hospitals and people working in contact with infected people and more likely to be nurses with which are more women. Okay, well, I'm going to stop right there. 
yes, there are more nurses and there are more teachers and stuff like that. But keep in mind that the governments themselves are the ones that push women into these fields. And they don't put quotas like, uh, you know, we want a 50-50% ratio, 50% men, 50% women. You know, uh, for example, in California, they try passing this law that we must have one, two, or three women on every company board, CEO board, whatever. Because they push them into that. But, you know, you never see them pushing when uh, the other way. We want men into this field to educate our boy students in school. We want men in the hospital for the nurses and whatnot. So that's the government's choice. You know, so the women are at risk. Well, the women can go be cool miners or oil rig workers. Okay, so let's keep going. The latest data from the Federal Department of Health reserves that 369 women aged between 25 and 29 have developed the virus in Australia, making up more than 52% of the age category compared to males in the ages of 20 and 24 category. Women represent more than 62% of the age bracket. You know, one more thing I wonder about is they say, say they say in Australia, but isn't Australia also heavily Chinese? So wouldn't many Australians actually be Chinese or are they separated? I'm not Australian, so I don't know, but I question that because Chinese, have, they fly home when they come back or they interact with people from their country who probably already carried it. Okay. So, the data shows that women in their 20s account for the largest coherent of carnivorous patients in, with more than 700 cases recorded. The next largest coherent is men aged in their 20s with fewer than 600. Okay, have been recorded. Okay, well, that's not too big of a um, difference. But I will say, if you look at my channel earlier, I think last week, Ukraine also reported that more women had the virus than men. So now we, we can draw a little comparison. Okay, so there's two countries that are saying that. So that's good. The, for Admiral Lehawk 27, the data is a wake-up call. I thought it, it was more older people, so hearing that is a bit of a shock, she said. Yeah, well, another question is, did you guys recover or not? Where's the death count? Unlike the crowds that flocked to the cities, Bernie Beach, early March, young people are now as likely to be shuttering themselves home as the elderly. 26-year-old Cinnamon Lauren works in a finance in Sydney, but it has been weeks since she's been inside her office building. I'm working from home, so I'm not going out much, except for the essentials like food and exercising. I'm not really seeing too many people, she said. Miss Lauren said she feels more vulnerable upon discovering she was part of the most infected category, but was willing to observe strict social distancing laws. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I don't know. People are very easy to trick with emotions, and use, as we know, it's easy to manipulate data. So where is the data, real data? Cinema of Manham 28 from Ireland, who was working as a teacher in Sydney, said she had been unaware of being in Australia's highest risk category of infection. 
you think, oh, we're, we're young enough, we should be fine, but I guess not. However, there are only so many precautions you can take. Well, just because you get the disease does not mean you'll die from it. Just like getting the cold, you recover. Miss Marin, whose sister is a nurse working in the children, with children, has taken extra precautions to protect the household against the virus. We have not allowed to have anyone over because our building has strict rules as we live with high-risk people. So anyone who isn't a resident can't come in. We socialize in the house, eat in the house, don't really go anywhere. All we do is go for walks. All right, so I'm going to stop there. And I, I kind of left many questions throughout this conversation, but what do you think? Do you think it's true that the women are getting this, or do you think it's propaganda for government money? I have myself, I have not read how the government is spending the stimulus packages for Australia yet. I hope to find articles on that. But, um, or do you think this is actual factual and this is something that should, uh, that is concerning? Please leave your thoughts and comments below. I love to hear. Like, comment, subscribe. Okay, moving on to our next topic. The next two articles I'm going to read will take place about the Korean elections that happened yesterday. I first will talk about the winning results and what that means, and then later I will go into who can run for office and how they got in and what you think about it. So let's get into this. South Korean voters seen given President Moon Jae-hee the in-party control of the parliament in an election that took place amid a pandemic um, that produced a huge turnout, with was projected to rise to the highest level in 28 years. Actually, it's interesting, compared to America, that South Koreans in general have a very high voter turnout. Every well, early counts and exit polls resulting suggested dominance of ruling in the Democratic Party on the back of the successful uh, flannering of the, the bug outbreak in comparison to the other countries struggling with uh, mounting death tolls. There was something like explanation of an expectation that if we work hard, we can overcome the economic crisis too. Democratic Party floor leader Repet Lee in Yong said after the exit poll results are announced, saying that the government has proven itself in dealing with the outbreak in Korea. I assess it as there being a desire to allow the ruling party to lead and stable run state affairs in these extraordinary times. Okay, and just for your information, the Democratic Party is more online in Korea with the U.S. Democratic Party. Like I know in Europe, they're kind of opposite, but in Korea, they're more aligned with the U.S. At 10:50 p.m., if with 49.7% of votes counted, the Democratic Party was leading in 150 constituent counties, and the United Future Party in 95 candidates with no party affiliation, were leading in the five districts and the data uh, from three districts 
were being updated. By region, the ruling party appeared to be dominating Seoul with it with its candidates leading in 38 of the city's 49 consistencies. The situation was similar in Gongi province with 43 of 60 districts being led by the Democratic Party candidates. The Democratic Party was also set to take nearly all the seats in the Jola province in Gongju, which had previously chosen the defunct People's Party over the ruling party. When they mean defunct, they're talking about uh, President uh, Park, you know, the one that they threw in jail, and President Lee before that, who was in jail too. The Citizens Party, the ruling party's satellite party, was expected to take 17 propositional seats, giving the ruling bloc at least half of the 300-seat parliament. Now, the Citizens' Party is kind of unique. Korea, in general, is not really a two-party system. You, they can have as many as they want. When they're talking about this party, this is a third party, and there was some, like, uh, online, internet, Google, Mongol, not Google, but, you know, on, entrepreneur for online marketing. And um, he ran against President Moon during the presidential election a few years ago. He didn't win, but... Uh, that's his party. The main opposition was led was leading only in traditionally carnivorous areas: Busan, Dagu, Ulsan, and North and South Gongji Province. Uh, combined with the 19 provincial representative seats projected by exit polls for its satellite party, Future Korea Party. The conservative opposition was expected to gain 140 seats. These two parties currently hold 112 seats. So keep in mind, there's 300 total seats in the whole parliament, and they have 112, so that's like one-third. Now, the, uh, now I'm going to move on to the second article I want to read, okay? This, this article is about two of the winners. The two... Two North Korean defectors actually won. One of them was the recent guy that was um, a year or two ago. He was the one in Europe. I think it was actually UK, we'll read. He defected as he was the ambassador. And so let's get into this because what I want you to think about while we're re reading this article is how would you feel, well, first, what should you have to do to run for office in your country? Who should be able to run? And do you think it's okay for people who are not citizens to run for office? And how high of office can they run? And we'll share about that later after, we, after I read this article. The 21st National Assembly will have two members originally from North Korea who have been vocal about their native country's dictatorship and human rights abuse. One of them is Ta Hee Min, better known here by his North Korean name, the Yong Hu, who became the first defector to, to be directly elected in the South Korean National Parliament. Running on the ticket of the conservative opposition United Future Party, the former North Korean diplomat who settled down here four years ago, garnered 58% of the vote in a 
constituent souls affiliate Gangnam business, you know, like Gangnam style, like the Sai song. South Korea is my homeland and Gangnam is my hometown. Uh, Thierry T said after a victory became certain in his early in the early hours of Thursday. I'm seventy years after seventy years of separation between the two Koreas, no North Korean was elected in a constituency seat. I think this is the first step to reconciliation and harmony between the people of the two Koreas and unification. Korea, well known for its expensive housing and luxury apartment complexes, a Gangnam area has conservatively, conservatively voted conservatives and Tao Gangnam, a considery has not elected a single candidate from the liberal faction since 2000, so about 20 years. Okay. Rival questioned Taehee's credentials, saying say he lacked a connection and experience of liberal democracy as well as the district, which is, is home to the country's richest and tedious and where emotions about real estate and the economy run high. I could probably see his point on that. You know, in this article so far, this guy was saying South Korea is his home, but his whole family and everybody is still in North Korea. Just because you move somewhere does not mean you really get a new home. Yet, Tay appealed to voters by pledging to undergo extensive taxation, capitalization, and resident anger at President Moon Jae-hee's incurrent real estate policy, which targets owners of extensive homes and for uh, multi-homes. Yes, many Koreans, there's a good portion of many Koreans who have more than one home. You know how it is, you know, it takes money to make money. It takes real estate to get more real estate. Tae, 55, was the deputy ambassador of North Korea's embassy in London when he defected to South Korea with his wife and two sons in 2016 in search of freedom. He is one of the most senior North Korean diplomats to defect to date. Yeah, as I told you, this was the guy who was the European ambassador who defected. As a side note, when I worked in Korea in 2010, they had this defector come to the high school I was at, and he gave a speech to the students in Korean, so I didn't really get much. I got a little bit because my co-teachers that were Korean, they translated a little bit. But what I what I remember most, and I took a lot of pictures of him, was all the pictures he brought from his country and he showed to the students. It was really remarkable. I will try to find some and make a small video of what he showed us that day for you guys to see later. Okay. Since his defection, Tae has heavily criticized North Korean's authoritarian regime under Kim Jong-un, as well as President Moon Jae-hee's engagement policy with Pyongyang. When he decided to run for, for a parliamentary seat in February, he said his victory could bring the two Koreas closer in unification and could send positive signals about the democracy to the upper echelon of North Korea, of which he was part. I don't think you're part of that anymore. The upper echelon is kind of like saying upper society, upper class. T 
Tay became the first North Korean defector to achieve victory in a, the election. Previously, Cho Mong Chul, a former professor at Pyongyang Ki Song University, was a member of the National Assembly from 2002 to 2016, but he was elected through proportional representation system. I'm not sure what that is, but I guess that's not voting. Meanwhile, another defector, Ji Sung Soo, who is known for his surprise appearances at President Donald Trump's 2000, ooh, 2008 State of the Union address, secured a seat through the proportional representative system. He ran as part of a future Korea party, a group affiliated with the main opposition. Since settling down here, Ji has campaigned for human rights in North Korea. All right. So now that we've read that, I really want to get into my thoughts on this. So bear with me, and I will give you a few more facts and opinions and questions. But so far, hang in there. Okay, so I want to give my thoughts and a little background information on the article, we, the two articles we just read. First off, if you remember last week, or if you didn't watch, there was an all-female party that was running in this uh, election. They had two candidates. I made a video about it. It was an all-feminist party, and they were like, oh, we're not going to get any men's votes, but we don't care. But we read the results, and the two women running as the newly feminist party got to zero of two seats, so they wiped out. Congratulations. I guess that is one positive thing about the election. For the record, Moon Jae-hee, the president, I did see him live once. He came to Jeju when they had a holiday memorial for a political event that took place there years ago. But in 2017, he gave a speech at a university, so I got to see him in person. Okay. Another thing to take a note, one party takes over as a majority of the House of the House. And they hold a presidency as well. So could the the could the country move toward one party role like a communist? Okay. So keep this in mind. Like when Trump in America, when he won, he had control of the Congress, Senate, and presidency. Even though they are Republican, he technically was outsider. So most of the party hated him. They've got on board now, but he, but he's lost control. But in this case, Moon has control of all. And he has enough in his house to change the Constitution or amend the Constitution to things that are like cement into law. So within the next two years, at least, until he runs for office and things could change, we might see substantial changes in the Korean um, government. So that could be good or bad. It really depends. How do you, how do you feel if there's a one-party rule? I myself have traveled around the world, and I've seen both two or more party versus one party. And honestly, to me, it really depends on the way things are applied. That's my opinion, but I'd like to hear your opinion. Korea's president is a one-term, five-year timeline. Yeah, so 2022 is the next election. Yeah, so that's a little tidbit for you. Uh, in Korea, they go every five years. And it's a one-term so, like, this is the third president now that's run for office since I've known. Moon Jae-hee got in office in around 2008, and then 2013, uh, Miss Park 
got in office in that 2018, you had Moon Okay. Korea is allowed to have many parties. Yeah, so unlike America, you know, we have really Republicans and Democrats. Some people will joke about the Greenpeace. But um, unlike Europe, Europe does have many parties. In Korea, you can have three, four, five, six, and some rise and some fall. So that's just a little more tidbit for you. Now, the two North Koreans win seats. I'm going to get back to this in a moment, but let me first give you one more tidbit. Korea, in an article, said that they lowered the voting age to 18. And so in Korea, you are one year old when you're born. That's kind of that way through most Asia. So that's basically saying you are 17. So you're not even necessarily a high school graduate. And so what do you think? Do you think that uh, seniors in high school should be able to vote? Yes or no? Leave your opinion below. Now on to what I really wanted to talk about. How do you feel about non-born and in some cases non-citizens in government office? Okay, so I'm going to give an example. Mm, you know, the Omar Hasha, that, that I guess a Muslim girl, whatever she is, she married somebody, her own brother, they say, to become an American citizen. So she really was not an American citizen. She was not born here. She did not study here. She did not know her art. She does not know her history or anything. But she, she got to one of the highest uh, government offices in the land. Now, is that okay for foreigners to come in and run for office? If so, how high? Let me give another example. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he married um, the Kennedy girl. And so he actually could run for governor, but he could not run for Congress, Senate, or president. Some people were encouraging him to do that, but he was a foreigner, even though he married. So I don't know if the law changed between then and now, but yeah, he couldn't go higher like Omar. But what do you think about that? Do you Do you think it's okay? Like, you know... Here's another example. You know, a lot of people, a lot of candidates, they, they try to get um, the vote of non, say non-local, non-citizens. Non in America's case, they'll say, well, we want illegal immigrants or aliens, whatever. We want them to vote. But um, so they'll start speaking in Spanish. And, and these people don't even know our history. They don't know our culture. But just vote for us. Vote for us. Is do you, Are you okay with, total strangers voting and dictating how your country should be run. And let me give you another classic example. If I, I am from America, but if I went down to Mexico, I could not vote no matter what. Even if I married and I had a child with a Mexican, they still would not. I mean, but most countries are like that. I'm not necessarily saying it's a loophole in America, but it's something that should be considered. Why does a total stranger have a right to dictate to you, the local, how your country should be ran. But again, how high? I mean, is this okay for like it's, if they run for mayor, if they run for governor, they they're on the city city councils, our school councils. Is that okay? But where where would you leave the limit? That that's what I would like to know from you. And lastly, do you vote? Why or why not? And have you ever thought about run for an office? You know, many people have a gripe with their country. You know, even if you ran for a governor or a president, I read this article once. This uh, this guy, 
he got his $10,000 check for signing up for the army. And um, he he ran for, I don't know if it was president or governor, but it was one or the other. And most people were like just joking with him. I'm like, oh, you've wasted your money, blah, blah, blah. And in a way he did, but he also said, guess what? I ran for office. I attempted to do it, but have you? And they said no. So, so yeah, he didn't go far with it, but he could say that he did do something. And other people, you know, try to find, if you, if you want to advocate for something, try to find the way to make the change. Don't rely on others to fix a change. Most people are looking out for their own self-interest, not for yours. If you're very passionate about something, make make a path to get it done and progress your life. So anyway, so the questions I ask, leave, leave your answers below. I'd love to hear from you. And moving on to our next article of the day is about inventors and inventions. And, you know, it's always interesting when crises or um, new challenges come up because that's when great minds actually step up and they try to think out for better solutions or ways to solve problems at hand. So, what we have here is Vietnam makes a disinfection robot to aid cleaners in the bug outbreak. Vietnamese scientists have developed a new robot named Narvoivoid-1 that can clean and disinfect hospital rooms to support medical workers in the fight against the novel virus. Wow, that can, you know, many people in Japan and kind of America, they have these like robots that will sweep or mop the floor. Some of them will, you know, cut your grass for you. I, I heard some even do your laundry. I don't know how, but on that one. But um, I can see this one becoming a mega seller and, and school inventors are going to become very rich very fast. So let's read about it. The Narodid one is a research and developed by the scientists of the Institute of Technology App Application under the Ministry of Science and Technology. It took the scientists more than two weeks to produce a robot that can be used to quarantine central centers and hospitals. It's interesting, um, a little tidbit, like when they talk about science of technology, that's not really one campus. Um, in Vietnam, they'll have these things like um, University of Finance, University of Commerce, University of Technology, but they're like all over, but the same thing. But in matter of fact, there's a science of technology right down the street from my house. Okay. The made in Vietnam robot can automatically move and avoid all obstacles in the way thanks to uh, built-in sensor. The device can easily move into the into every corner of the room, enabling it to clean and disinfect a wide variety of surfaces. Each robot contains up to 10 liters of disinfectant solution, and once fully charged, it can work constantly for about two hours. In addition, the robot is de designed to disinfect itself before moving out of the room. Mm, that's kind of nice. Earlier on, April 15th, the robot was piloted at the National Hospital for Tropical Diseases, the Kim Chong facility. Tran Lin, the director of the outpatient department in the hospital, was quoted as saying the robot is ex expected to back 
medical workers and save time and minimize infection risk. In addition, the liquid carrying capacity of Narvid-1 greatly reduces the times health workers need to refuel disinfectant. In fact, thanks to the robot, they now only come to each room three times a day to add more liquid to the cleaning task happening every 30 minutes. Yep, nice. Maybe they can even set up like a spot where the robot can eventually go back and plug itself in and be automated. That'd be really awesome. The upcoming, in the upcoming time, the research team will continue to upgrade the robot to work more efficient, effectively before transferring the technology to manufacturing for mass production to meet the high demands of isolation areas and hospitals nationwide. So there you go. That's little bucket thing right there. That is the robot. So my question for you is what invention has changed the way your life or the way you do things? You know, in my case, it was mostly the internet. Before the internet, I used to play video games all the time. You know, people will say, oh, that's your dopamine high. That's how you just get your pleasure or whatnot. But when the internet came out, there was no Google or anything at the time, but I did like, you know, th there was chat rooms. Like, there was chat rooms or there were certain websites, you know, you can find. Again, there was no Google back then. So, chat rooms, things like that, or Skype. Or, so, the internet took me away from playing video games, and I liked, I felt like I could learn anything. And I could reach out and meet anybody. So, that's me. What about you? What invention, again, changed your life and how? Leave your comments below, like, comment, and subscribe. Okay, moving on to our next topic, and this one is going to be very charged. I want to first read this article about uh, universities teaching and students' rights and whatnot, and then after I read it, I will share my thoughts and ask for your opinions. So this takes place in Australia, and this it says, and this is about. Um, a student who now might be kicked out of his university. So let's get into this. Student who criticized China faces expulsion from the University of Queensland. For those who don't know, the University of Queensland is in Australia. Okay? So let's get into this article. Uh, student advised who has loudly campaigned against the University of Queensland ties with the Chinese organizations, faces expulsion from the university within weeks. Drew Pauru, a student elected member of the university, UC Senate, has revealed that he faces disciplinary actions by the university. In the post on a social media, he wrote, Hey everyone, it's with a heavy heart that I inform you that the University of Queensland will be considering my expulsion on April 27th. Before, before a secret hearing due to my post criticizing the university's links to the CCP and support of Hong Kong. The UC confirmed on Wednesday that Mr. Pabu faced disciplinary procedure but refused to divulge the nature of nature other than to say they, they re related to ruling covering the student council. Mr. Raval has been a politi political thorn in the side of UC 
over the past year, leading to noisy protests about the university's support of a joint research with the Chinese-backed organizations, and alleging he was assaulted by Chinese government supporters at a rally last year in support of Hong Kong protesters. Uh, QU spokesperson said it was inappropriate to comment on the specifics of the move against him. However, the university rejects Mr. Polo's statement that the university uh, process is an attempt to penalize him for airing his political beliefs, the spokesman said. Universities resembled expect that the students comply with the conduct policies and charters that reflect both the organization values and community expectations. The disciplinary process seeks to address alleged contradictions of the university policy. They do not seek to prevent students from expressing their views or to limit their rights to freedom of speech. No, no, we'll get back to the rights of freedom of speech in a minute. Mr. Plavu, a philosophy student, had also attracted criticism from China government, the government-owned media, over his vocal hardline stances against Beijing. News of the university's move sparked criticism on social, <coughs> on social media. Mr. Plavo's supporters have begun an online petition against the possible expulsion, and this has attracted more than 4,700 signatures. All right, I actually have a lot to say on this, so bear with me and let's get into the conversation and your comments. This is probably going to be my most controversial topic of the day. The student who balks at the China faces exposure or expulsion. Okay. Um, now, there is a show called 60 Minutes in America, but most Americans don't know there's a 60 Minutes Australia. I actually never really cared much for 60 Minutes in America. They were kind of dry and boring. But the 60 Minutes Australia kind of like always gave me information on a foreign plan, foreign place, and I found it pr pretty relatable. So every now and then I, I watch it and I gather information. Whether it's always accurate or propaganda, I don't know. But there's always some truth in every story. So let's get on some facts here. Australia is heavily reliant on Chinese international students. This is similar to like America. I you know if, if you're from California and you go to a, like say a, a state school, um, Cal State Long Beach, they'll make say $2,000 a semester off you. Now, if you're from say New York and you go to that same school, they'll make say 5,000 a semester off you. Now, if you are an international student, they'll make 25,000 a semester off you. That's how a lot of universities rank. It's maybe it's not totally correct, but uh, we'll say that's how it is for now. And so this encourages universities to get overseas people and to cater for that cash. And, but when you do that, sometimes you can go too far and displace your local citizens. So let's keep that in mind. So they desire the money and turn down seats to local students or people of other nations to favor China. In Australia's case, they, some of the schools are very reliant. There's there's a lot of um, reports of teachers and um, CNNs 
or not saying that, but you know, the 60 Minutes and the university staff, they'll tell you, yes, we bend over backwards to appease our Chinese students because they pay our salaries and they pay, the, they pay for the school. Now, this is kind of a problem with governments. If, if they're relying on their state schools, but they're relying on foreigners to fund those schools, that's a little problematic in my book. What do you think? Some universities implement special clubs, speech tolerance, and Chinese uh, teachings over international ones. So yes, like um, there was reports that, uh, for example, Australia was, some universities were teaching about the East China Sea, how they had that weird map where China owns Taiwan and everything else. They're, they were teaching that at the university, saying this is a map we want taught, and this is what you can teach to all students, whether they're Chinese, international, or locals. So, or, you know, when you're going to address, if this textbook has Taiwan in it, you're going to take it out, you're not going to even use it. So there's things like that, that um, they say, no, we, we forbid you to put that in, in your university. It's your nation, your university, but basically you are a territorial property of our government because you're doing our bidding. So, yeah, that causes a little bit of a problem. Moving on from that, some universities implement special clubs. Um, so... Let's move on. So some students who did support the Hong Kong movement last year, you know, when for, for freedom, uh, they were they went to Hong Kong, and they actually were do there's documents of this. They went to Hong Kong, they, they protested on their holiday or whatever. Then they came back to school, and the universities kicked them out. So doesn't that go against Australia's free speech, particularly when the student pay for something? I thought we we're supposed to teach open minds and uh, be part of these experiences and everything, but they literally kicked out some students trying to like track the people through coming through the country. Then they went home. They did that and they kicked them out. Moving on, you know, China was caught taking IP from restricted areas, whether sometimes it was from the researchers from the campuses themselves. Other times these students would get um, work visas through internships or whatever for different companies within Australia and then they would take that information back to China. So this is all well documented and known and it's something that uh, needs to be addressed. What do you think? How should we handle the international students? Should they be a place for all to learn or should we more or less focus on making the citizens and, and educating them the way we want them, the ones that are going to serve us versus overseas? I personally feel it's okay to have a certain percentage of international students so that the locals get exposure, can make contacts. But I do not think they deserve special privileges because our nation should be first. And therefore, the contacts are to bring people together, but not subjugate. Okay, so moving on, there's still a few more things. Now, about the student. How do you feel about having the special privileges given to other people on campus? Now, this is this is what kind of gets me, all right? You know, sometimes you would have like this. When I went to school, university, and JC and university, they had like a women's center and a disabled student center. I actually was part of the disabled student center due to my eyesight. But there was no men's center. And I... This was even the 90s. And so I felt very 
angered by that. I did not feel like I was an equal person. I did not feel my money was getting the same value as that woman's. And their justification back in the 90s was, well, we have less women than men, so we need to make a safe place for them. But now, how could they justify that? There's actually more women graduating than men. And even if you toss aside the graduating, there's even higher that are attending college than men. So let's say there's 70% women, 30% men, but maybe there's 55% or 65% that graduate and only 25% graduate their men. So there's more that attend than even graduate. So, the, so in that case, should not we have the men's center? Many men will grow up. Why do they need it? One, many men will grow up. They've never had a father. Many men will not know how to fight against like these things like me too. Many men will not know how to get into trades. And many, the men are paying the same amount of money as the women are to attend that university, but they're not getting equal representation. And if I recall right, that's what caused America to go to their war with England. They wanted equal representation in their Britain. So I do think that's something that does need to be addressed. But how about you? Now, there's another um, thing when we're talking about uh, speeches. Uh, a lot of times you have... Um, so some agencies will say, you know what, XYZ has been approved or not approved to give a speech. And if he's not liked by a certain group on campus, this, then the, a small group or a different group of students on campus will go protest that, group, protest that person from speech and go try to block it. Now, I thought tolerance, multiculturalism, and what's not was about tolerance. I'm not saying I always will like what these guest speakers say, but... Am I supposed to respect what they say and maybe maybe like it, maybe hate it? But either way, I respect what they have to say and I can still walk away. But the fact that they're blocking it, again, they're, they're taking my money and they're preventing me from free speech. But at the same token, they are promoting free, educate, free speech and open ideas. So, and again, this takes effect because of what China is doing to wherever it sends students. Um, so... Then, there, when I was in school too, there were some classes that had meet cultural diversity. Like, I had this one class, and there was no black person in the class, and so they actually made us like ten students go around and try to enroll an African, so this the class could take effect when I was in school. <laughs> so that was very bogus, in my opinion. But what do you think on that? And that's another thing too. There are some campuses now that will say, you know, yeah, like uh, this is a woman's only, not just center, but this is like a woman's only, um, not, not dorm, but like meeting area, I guess, yeah, meeting area. So like they're getting access to public land that, again, every student is paying for, but you're getting more of it. But then there's no contradiction to that where, the, say, the men get their own meeting only area. So, what are your thoughts on that? And lastly, I I will not talk about the, the false sex cases, the Me Too, or sports cases in this um, thing. Those are very, very hot topics on campus, but I do want to wait until an article comes up to present information on those two particular topics. So, anyway, please leave like, comment, leave your, your uh, leave, subscribe below. And leave your comments. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much. On now, this is more lighthearted. 
as you know, many people are locked down around the nation and kids are home all day, moms are working all day, dads are doing helping out all day, and many people sometimes they complain or they feel overworked. Personally, I'm going to tell you, deal with it. You know, I myself always think of my mom. She would, uh, be, she had nine kids and she would be up at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning and she'd go to bed 9 o'clock at night. But she looked forward to doing everything all day with her kids. It was an adventure for her. She took pride in it. She enjoyed it. Somehow, individualism, I guess, has taken over where they try shaming you for loving and caring for your family or finding the happiness in loving your family. So that's what I think is causing a conflict between the mothers and the children or whatnot. It's not so much the time spent together, it's just, I want me time, I want my time, give me, give me, please, please, please. But no, that's not happening right now. Maybe this is a good thing for the marriages and society and whatnot. So let's break into this article. Think about your um, your mom when, you know, mommy, mommy, I'm hungry. Uh, you know, she'll either tell you, hey, go to the kitchen, peanut butter and jelly, make it yourself. Or you find some weird things in the kitchen and you try making them and either taste bad or taste good. Sometimes your mom would do the same. So since people are home right now, it's kind of causing this effect to happen. So... Burnt bread, collapsed cakes, and inedible potatoes. The kitchen failures of Vietnamese families in self-isolation are being shared online with hundreds of thousands joining Facebook group to compensate for their culinary cat catastrophic problem. Uh, you know, I, I actually kind of funny. I read this article. I typed in the thing on Facebook and everything else. I wanted to join this group and read some of the stories, but this article and even Facebook itself does not show me this group. So I was going to give a shout out to this group and include their link to joining their group, but I couldn't find it. Maybe you guys are luckier and you can find it. With half the world in lockdown due to the virus pandemic, master chefs in the kitchen making across the globe have been posting snapshots on social media of their perfect sourdough and glossy, gooey brownies. They, they while away the hours in the kitchen. That's a while away. So many people have been baking bread that yeast has become... Some people have been baking bread that yeast has become scarce. But in Vietnam, Dr. Tong, founder of the Facebook group, decided that the world needed a baker's benefit club because for a grain of truth i think when there are groups showing delicious dishes and nice homes we should also have some place where people can share their families so that people feel more comfortable being themselves the videographer from hanoi said he stated the group he started the group last week, and its membership has risen fast, boasting more than 800,000 people by Wednesday. Yeah, like when I looked at a group, I saw like 800 people. So I, I didn't get the right group somehow. Some, some have shared pictures of smoldering pans and 
clongered black lumps in pots. Others have posted snaps of unhappy children refusing to eat what their parents have cooked. How have you felt as a mom or dad when, um, when your parents, when your parents like handed you a dish, when you hand your kid a dish, and they go, mm, 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 what face do they give you? Like, mm, big frown, or no, 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 with their hands crossed, or do they stop and walk away? And how did you act when your parents did that? I really would like to know. Please put your uh, thoughts below. Okay, so during the pan pandemic, Suddenly, one has to cook three meals a day. Wow, that's just so hard not, particularly nowadays with grocery stores. Clean clean the house with the kids at home, making making things a mess. There will be more accidents. You know, I kind of agree, but don't agree. Again, my mom raised nine kids, but on top of that, she provided daycare. She always had like six to eight kids on top that, that she was watching and prepared meals and everything. So most of... Urban Vietnam is preparing to enter its third week of self-isolation, despite the country's relatively low cases. It's actually true that um, Vietnam opened up about half of its cities, so there's uh, a few areas that are still closed for one more week. Fellow groups member Han Hyun Hyun appear to have been struggling in the kitchen too, posting pictures of green tingled cake that had collapsed on itself. Now, why can't these Vietnamese cook? I thought that's one thing every Vietnamese mother taught their child. Not to mention, you know, in Korea and Japan, yeah. um, most kids study their life away. So before they marry, they take like six months to a year about, they call it marriage classes, where they learn how to cook, they learn how to take care of a baby, they learn how to like repair a house or whatever, basic things. So, yeah, that's why Vietnam doesn't have that, but it's kind of funny that that, that it's funny that that is a Korea culture and um, Japan culture. Normally, I am quite confident in my housework ability, but I cannot explain how it happened. Meanwhile, one first-time chef couldn't hide her disappointment as she faced uh, blackened fried potatoes for dinner. You know, it's kind of hard to, to fry black potatoes. Usually, you can get brown, but how do you get black? I made this following following on a uh, following on an online tutorial, but I really don't know how things ended up like this. Uh, Tryon told the AFP from his home, Tokyo, admitting, "I don't know how to cook." So again, what have you cooked to um, to please your kids, or that your kids stopped and uh, ran away? And how are you dealing with being at home? Are you enjoying being a mother, father, parent, guardian more? Or is it stressing you out? Please leave your comments below. Now we are moving on to honestly my favorite part of the um, podcast or YouTube findings of the day. I love seeing people at work and showing pride for their country or helping others. So I look hard every day to find articles like this. As you may notice in many of my previous videos. And today I found a king and I found a mayor for us. So the king makes a personal donation for the, the Convid Fund. Kula Lepour, April 16th, Yada de Parjul Olonga, I can't pronounce his name, but basically he is the king of Thailand, okay? King Thailand has a king, so it's technically a one-party system. And um, he made a personal donation. It doesn't actually say how much the do of a donation he made, but he did make 
a donation. So, but, but he, he, in the posting on its official Instagram page, said that the donation was presented to Prime Minister Tansar Burhil, God, I can't pronounce this, through the controller of the royal household of Insanagu. Okay, so the Prime Minister got it, it's on their Instagram page. It'd be nice if they uh, gave a link of the Instagram page so I could follow it and share with you. On March 31st, Ala Satan Halabab and Raji Parakram gosh, um, agreed to forego their royal engorlarments for six months. So I guess they get like a tax collection or salary. So for six months, no pay from March to August this year to ease the burden of their government in handling the pandemic in the country. That's really nice of them. The king also hoped that the people would continue to be with both their mag magistrates in, in praying for the mercy of Allah SWT for his blessings for the pandemic to end soon. All right. So that is one person I wanted to bring up. And by the way, so Thailand has a king. Um, they have temples for it. One thing I like about Thailand when I visited, you know, um, when I travel, I try to watch international movies all over the world. But what I remember mostly about Thailand, movies-wise, is when I went to watch a film, every film that uh, goes off, they stand for and sing the national anthem of their country. And I thought that was a nice way to show unity and I kind of wish other countries would pick up on that. It's always it's nice to feel united, especially before you're about to watch an event. I guess they did this with all like big public events like baseball games or, or football games or whatever. But it was really nice. And what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts about this king giving to his people? What are your thoughts about the unity that the country tries to express? And let's move on to the second hero of, that I found today. <laughs> okay. Now this was kind of cool. Here's our guy here, and he is a, he is from the Philippines, and he is a, a mayor. 